Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side, and the truth. Come on, girls. Let's go shopping. That's not a knife. This is a knife. What are you looking at? Don't look at a boy jumping me. You're mad, you bastard. G'day folks and welcome to another episode of The Curb. My name is Andrew Pearce and this is the podcast that takes a look at Australian culture, films and everything in between. This podcast is proudly recorded in the lands of the Wajak people of Perth region and a pay respects to their elders both past, present and emerging. On this particular episode, well, it's another great one. Uh, I get to chat to a BAFTA award-winning writer, Anthony Mullins, who has a new book out called Beyond the Hero's Journey. Now, this is a brilliant new book. It's a screenwriting guide, and look, I'm not a screenwriter. Uh, I have no uh, idea about how to write a script, uh, even though I've read multiple books on screenwriting, um, and I have no desire to write a script. However, I thoroughly enjoy reading books about screenwriting and the screenwriting process because when they're something like Beyond the Hero's Journey, they actually help me as a critic and as a person um, look and enjoy films and TV just a little bit more, get a greater understanding of what to actually look for, how the three-act structure works, how the hero's journey itself works. Now, if you're not too familiar with the hero's journey, this book does go into it in quite a bit of length and explains the history of it quite well. But instead of being a retelling of Joseph Campbell or anything like that, or Save the Cat or anything like that, um, this actually kind of adds to that narrative and that, that thesis on how to write a script and how people should structure scripts. And what I really like about this book is that it's not just a how-to guide on how to write script. It is also a guide on how to understand uh, emotional impact of films and how to under- appreciate and, and accept the the variances of how films move as they gallop along as we watch them. Anthony does a really great job here in covering not just some big films. Uh, as we mentioned in the interview, there is Star Wars, there's Godfather, the kind of usual films that you expect to be covered in a script writing book. But then there's films like Burning, there's films like The Nightingale and Sweet Country. And that's what kind of got me interested in this particular book, because we don't see those kinds of films getting discussed here. And they're films which are very internal in a lot of ways. The the character's uh, journey and narrative is very subtle and quiet in so many different ways. 
I really enjoyed that, and I highly recommend seeing the, seeking this book out. Uh, it's got a lot of praise around the, the world. Um, Benjamin Law has a great quote on on the actual book itself. Essential. Don't start writing scripts without it. And if you're writing scripts already, read it to explode every existing assumption. And that's kind of what is really great about this book. Uh, it's available by New South Publishing, and I highly recommend seeing seeking it out. As I mentioned, uh, this I did receive a book uh, copy for a interview and review purposes, so um, just needing you to know that beforehand. Um, but I can guarantee you that even if I didn't receive a copy for uh, this interview, uh, I would be buying it myself because it's really great and very, very well worth reading, even if you're not going to write a script. Um, nonetheless, as the dogs in the background yell at me and tell me to shut up and get on with the interview itself, I really enjoyed dis this discussion with Anthony and... Um, yeah, I hope you enjoy it too. We start the discussion because uh, we do these interviews over Zoom, so we both got video, and I have a huge bookshelf full of DVDs behind me, and Anthony had a huge bookshelf full of books behind him. So that's how the interview starts, and then it kind of carries on from there. Nonetheless, enjoy, and uh, let me know what you think as well. Head over to the website, thecurb.com.au, and drop me a line on there too, uh, in the comments section, and let me know what you think about this particular interview, and let me know what you think about the book, if you've read it as well. I'd be fascinated to hear what you think, and what your ideas are about screenwriting in general. All right, guys, here is a little bit of music, and then the interview. Krogers mila gaski Eg fogert fan ergalje O roshi de vahawalja O roshi de vahawalja O roshi de vahawalja Anish er hakt Hey Andrew G'day Anthony, how are you doing? Good, how are you going? I'm great, thanks You're going well collection there oh my god <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> it's double stacked as well so it's um there's more than just uh what's sitting at the front of it so <laughs> it's it's good yeah yeah it's yeah. a nice book collection you've got there too um yeah, my wife is a writer as well and uh and she works in a bookstore so every book that comes into this place it never leaves and uh, yeah, up, up there it's triple stacked <laughs> right right those are the books we never get to. You know? no, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you address all of that? Like, I mean, I haven't watched everything that's here. You buy them and they sit on there and then you just kind of go, one day I'll watch it, you know, and then you buy another yeah. one and then you go. <laughs> well, interestingly, with the with the books that come in here, we do tend to read them all. I mean, I haven't read them all, but like Chrissy has read all of these books um, and she likes to keep them because... I don't know when when she's working, she likes to look at the bookshelf, and it kind of fires off mm. prompts. I guess it's like she's trying to crack a character or an idea, and she's just kind of browsing the bookstore, the the bookshelves the whole time, and it sort of just prompts different angles on things. That's how she explains it anyway. So we just yeah. keep them all, uh, never read them again. Of course, there's no time to do that these days. <laughs> but well there's no time but it's also a case of like certainly for me with the dvds and the blu-rays and stuff it's like i've watched it and i may never watch this ever again but sometimes i like to sit there and go have a look at it and go 
remember what the feeling was like having experienced that film or that book. You know, I've got books on that side of the room too, but, you know, and a yeah. cat right there. So it's like there's a varied <laughs> ama- amount of things that are going on in this room for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there's, there's nothing like going back to an old old movie and, and you know, rediscovering it again and seeing something new in it. I mean, that, that was the... That was the process with this whole book was kind of digging back through old films that I hadn't seen in years and kind of re-remembering them and sort of diving in. So I I get what you I get where you're coming from. It's kind of nice to have them there to be able to get them because sometimes, you know, with streaming services, you you go back to something you watched on Netflix two years ago. It's not there anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like I watched Gaslight last night for the first time, and oh, yeah. you know that's a that's an old film, but it's it's something mm. that I have been looking to watch for a long time, and I had to rent it because it's not on any streaming service at all. But it's that that feeling of like seeing something new for the first time, and um, I know that I'll revisit that in 10 years time and I'll have a completely different experience as well, because as we get older, we experience things completely differently. Absolutely. You, you bring different things movies. to it. Yeah. yeah. You bring different things to it. You've got new perspectives on it. Maybe you've got a kid now, maybe, I don't know, something else has happened in your life and suddenly this old film that, you know, connected with, you connect with it in a different way. You know, you still, you still might like it or maybe you hate it, but you connect with it in a different way. I love that about it. Yeah. So for you, when you're writing this book and you're revisiting these old films, how do you, how do you address what your first experience was like watching them with <laughs> watching it now? I, I guess with the book, um, uh, I had a particular sort of mission in mind, I guess. I was kind of looking at the movie, kind of thinking, does this idea I have about character arcs stack up? Does it work in a, in a sort of natural and organic sort of way with all of these really different films? Because I was trying to get very different films into the book uh, from different perspectives, different sorts of filmmakers. And I was just coming at these movies thinking, will this work? Um, of course, you know, with each, each movie that I, I chose, I really had to it had to be one that I, I wanted to invest all that time in because it's time-consuming sort of pouring over it and thinking about it and writing it up. But I, I was surprised with, uh, like, a, a particular film uh, that I, I came that I chose to do, um, which worked very well for the example in the book, which is um, Lost in Translation. So I, mm-hmm. I used it to describe a minimalist arc. So a minimalist arc is one where the sort of storytelling dial is sort of turned down the volumes turned down the the turning points in the story are not so dramatic and and the characters actions are all kind of a bit internalized and you know and i quite like films like that and i remembered lost in translation went that's going to be a fantastic example of a minimalist arc and i went back to it and i watched it and i it was sort of it was kind of an uncomfortable screening because there was still so much i enjoyed about the film but a lot of the stereotypes in it have not aged well. A lot yeah. of the Japanese characters, the way that they're portrayed, the jokes at their expense made me feel quite uncomfortable. And I, and I realised I had a different relationship with this film when I saw it again. And I, at one, I was so close to not including it in the book because I just thought this is kind of dis- distracting from what I wanted to talk about. But Ultimately, I felt like it was a very good example of what I was, I was talking about with a minimalist arc. 
And I decided just to address it yeah. <laughs> in writing up the, the, the film and kind of saying, look, you know, there's a lot to like about this film, but there are some things in it that I think have dated badly that Sophia Coppola was probably going for a more misanthropic sort of characterization. Like, you know, those two characters in Lost in Translation, they hated everyone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <You> yeah. Know, <laughs> they, they, they had jokes at everyone's expense. But in particular, there were a lot of really clunky stereo, Japanese stereotypes in there. And I just kind of felt like addressing it and kind of going, look, this is a thing about this film that, uh undermines it a bit now and that's worth thinking about because i guess the whole book in a sense is about being aware of the the filters through which we look at cultural artifacts like films and books and the i mean the the cultural filters that we wear when we're just going around the world when we're, mm. we're, we're moving through the world trying to understand what we're seeing around us they're all mediated by culture and ways of seeing the world and i I thought it was valuable to just highlight that uh, in relation to that film. And, and, you know, there's a couple of other instances through the book where I just try and make the reader aware that you can't sort of take anything for granted. It's all mediated by some sort of cultural viewpoint, which is going to affect how you understand that film. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. You you bring up how the the critical lens of it as well, because often you know I've read a bunch of these different kinds of books that have you know looked into either the writing process, directing process, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and they're often written with a, an adoration of the the film that they're discussing and you know distancing themselves from a critical eye. And it's great you know reading through. I was really impressed by the the manner that you actually do dissect these films in a critical you know stance that says all right this is really good but maybe when you're writing your script keep this in mind going forward that kind of thing uh i was really impressed by that um was that kind of a, a an organic thing that came along as you went through these films and and as you're saying with lost in translation you you rewatched and you went all right well this might change how i write about this film it it did sort of it sort of emerged organically i was I was conscious of, um, you know, one of the reasons why I wrote the book was because the hero's journey and the three-act structure are talked about as if, as if they're just kind of uh, universal knowledges, you know, a universal knowledge. It's just, it's, it's just there and it, it's not to be dissected. And one of the reasons to write the book was to kind of go, look, they, they you know, they're of a particular viewpoint and they, they shape storytelling in a particular way. But I was also aware that the approach that I was describing, which was just about saying, look, character arcs are probably a bit more flexible, do a lot more with the character arc, but that's got a particular uh, viewpoint as well. It's a particular Western viewpoint. It's about, you know, it's still shaped around a particular point of view and 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 the the choices characters make. I mean, at one point there in the book, I was kind of even, <laughs> I was kind of even thinking, what even is a choice? You know, what yeah. do we understand a choice to be? And at that point, I kind of thought, okay, I don't want to go down that deep into sort of critical analysis, but I just wanted it to be, I wanted to just keep reminding the viewer that whatever approach you choose, it, that's, the, that's the artistic choice that you've made and, it's, and, and you're trying to serve the storytelling in the best way you can. And so I guess it sort of emerged quite organically, um, mm-hmm. I've, but I, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that I did address it. <laughs> 
because I like I'm I'm kind of allergic to uh, any sort of um, uh, approach to it, an artistic process where people go, "This is the way. This is the only way." It's just like I'm immediately suspicious. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, yeah. there is not one way to do any of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think you know, certainly for me, I grew up in the 90s and watching a whole bunch of films and then revisiting those films later and having read the Save the Cat story and all this kind of stuff and the book mm. and all this, and then revisiting them. I'm like, you read that book. You, like, you can tell when screenwriters have read that book and have applied those those ideas to that their particular script. Um, this it doesn't reject those notions, but it kind of builds on it and says, no, no, let's let's work forward from that. And that is really impressive because I, I think we've been kind of craving that kind of thing where, while Hollywood is still being stuck in that three-act structure or the, the still the save-the-cat kind of motif. Um, it's it's necessary to break out of that kind of thing. How hard is it kind of coming up with new ideas or, or even bringing a new idea into the world like this? Um, well, I, I sort of... I played around with this for quite a while. I mean, it, its origins were from a 2004 master's project that I did uh, with Jared Lee, actually, um, who made wrote Top of the Lake, and he was my master's supervisor. Jared's technique of, of uh, teaching, he didn't give me lectures, but he would show lots of weird films. And so and we'd, we'd sit around and dissect the weird films afterwards and and inevitably, like, none of them would sort of fit a three-act structure or a hero's journey. And it, but of course, all the, you know, any sort of screenwriting books that we were reading around our master's work and around our own projects, they all just said the same thing. It's three-act structure or the hero's journey or both of them. And it just made me think, well, clearly, you know, the, a lot of the people in the class are not using those techniques. So what are, what are we using? Jared wasn't using those techniques what is Jared using? And as I moved through my career, I kind of, I realised that, you know, by and large, professional screenwriters don't use those techniques, particularly like my background is in TV and like a three-act structure is not very helpful to you in TV because it's a never-ending story. It just keeps on going. Where does one act finish and the next act begin? Uh, And in any like one-hour television episode, it's actually broken up into five or six acts uh, and each of those acts are separated by a commercial break. So, you know, it's not some mythic sort of formula that is uh, shaping the story here. It's just an advertising imperative. Um, so, it, I, you know, that, those were sort of the origins of, of the book. And and I thought about it for a long time. And, um, and the thing that just kept emerging was that, uh, that, that idea of character arcs. I, I, even though the writers I was working with and even in my own work I, I expressed ideas around character arcs. We didn't always use the same terms. Like, you know, someone would say, you know, we need an escalation here and someone else would say, we need a complication here or we need a plot point or we need a turning point. Or We all had different uh, terminologies, but we were all essentially talking about the same idea, which was there's a shape to a character's story. And the, the thing that sort of encouraged me to write the book was I did a workshop around this group of novelists and I I was just talking about uh, it it was screenwriting for novelists and I just introduced them to these ideas about the three-act structure the hero's journey and character arcs I said look you know the hero's journey is one sort of character arc it's uh, it's an optimistic story 
where it's about emotional transformation. That's a good story. There's a whole bunch of stories you can tell that way. But there's a whole bunch of other character arcs you can do too where things don't turn out so well or maybe the character doesn't transform. And the workshop really responded to that. They kind of went, you, they literally said, you should write a book about that. And, <laughs> and at the time I was like, really, I don't think the world needs another screenwriting book. But they kind of kept talking to me about it and it did, a, it did sort of feel like, yeah, this, this could actually be useful because it, we're, we're in a time at the moment where there are a lot of new, fantastic new voices coming through uh, from from people whose stories we haven't heard before, and it's it's really exciting and really encouraging. But when the only thing that they have to draw on is the three act structure and the hero's journey, a lot of those stories will be shut down because it forces those different sorts of voices, different sorts of stories into a pre existing formula. And I've seen it happen with uh, young writers that I'm working with where. Like literally the other day, a, a young writer was trying, he'd set up this amazing character, this really gutsy character who was just defiant and bold. And then there was a moment in the, in the first part of his story where he had what's called the meeting with the mentor. I don't know if you've ever heard of that from the hero's journey, but it's a moment where the hero has some doubts and he goes to a mentor and, and the mentor says, no, you should keep on going. You should, you know, you should take up this challenge but the character he'd set up didn't need a mentor (laughs) he didn't have any doubts this character was bold and gutsy and defiant and and ultimately in the the story this this young writer wrote is you know a constant character a character that doesn't change and that's the story he wanted to tell but when i was looking at the first draft of his his story he jammed it into this moment of doubt this character into a moment of doubt that wasn't true to the character. And I asked him, why did you do that? And he went, well, it's the hero's journey thing. <laughs> and so that happens all the time where young writers, they've got a story to tell and they sometimes they end up suffocating that idea and killing it because they're trying to fit it into a, a, a character arc that doesn't suit the character that they're trying to tell a story about. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it took a, it took a while to sort of, find a reason to tell, find a reason to put together these ideas. And, um, uh, and it was, it's just to encourage people to discover the story and the character you wanted to tell about um, rather than sort of squeezing it into a formula up the front. Leave yourself enough space. There's a lot of space to find out what your story and what your character is. Yeah. I want to talk about the selections of films oh, yeah. that you've got as well, because part of the reason why I, I was really keen to talk to you was that I was like, I'd picked up this book in the shop and I'm like, oh yeah, cool. No worries. Star Wars. Yeah. Fantastic. The Godfather. No worries. And then you go, oh, the Nightingale. Oh, Burning. And then Sweet Country. And I'm like, all right, this guy is picking interesting films. You're picking big films, but you're also picking smaller films, Australian films. And what really you know, got my interest up was the fact that Australian films really aren't discussed in this kind of manner at all. Uh, And it's, it's exciting to see them discussed. So what was the the decision process behind including something like Sweet Country and The Nightingale? Well, I I wanted to make sure that, you know, in each chapter, I'd make sure that there was a classic that just everyone 
had seen or there was a fairly good chance that everyone had seen it because that's one of the most difficult things in talking about films these days uh, is selecting films that everyone's actually seen because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> there are so many films. Um, and, but I wanted to make sure that they all had some sort of critical or commercial significance to them. And, you know, certainly The Nightingale and Sweet Country absolutely fit into that. Um, like I, I'm talking... The, the book's to, about to be released in the UK and the US and I was talking to the UK publisher and, and, and I was kind of imagining, and, and she's also the US publisher as well, and I was imagining she's going to say, Nightingale and Sweet Country, you've got to find some other examples. And she said, no, no, we know those films. They, they have oh, travelled here. <laughs> we know them. We like them. They're significant. We know exactly why you've chosen them. And I, I, I wanted them because they're, they're just really supreme examples of great filmmaking. I mean, that's the main reason why I chose them. It's great that they were Australian as well. Um, and, you know, I wanted to make sure there were some Australian films in there because we're good at this stuff. But, you know, our films are kind of smaller and they, they can kind of get lost in the, the global tsunami of content that we're all swimming in at the moment. But, you know, The Nightingale and Sweet Country are just so well realised and they're old and they're uncompromising films in many ways as well and I I really liked that about them and I so I I tried to choose films where the storytellers had gone for something particular you know they it's it's not just sort of generic storytelling for entertainment value I guess even though all of the films I hope are entertaining in their own way they have a a a grounding and a significance and an ambition I guess an ambition to them that um you know, it's, it's sometimes rare in filmmaking. Uh, you know, I I love it when a when a storyteller takes me somewhere that I didn't expect to go, and I, I absolutely felt that with Nightingale and, and Sweet Country. Yeah, I mean, I'm Sweet Country is one of my favourite films. I think it's a, a masterpiece in a lot of different ways, and what what Warwick Thornton's done with that film is just it's jaw-dropping but then what he's also done with Samson Delilah and and the beach is also mm-hmm. really fascinating too in creating different narratives there he's yeah, a Samson and Delilah were on my list yeah yeah <laughs> Samson and Delilah was on my list as well as there was there was a few sort of contending um but yeah ultimately I went with Sweet Country I just think it's so well realized yeah and I so, just said jaw-dropping ending as well oh yeah very much so yeah how do you how do you grapple with what to leave off the list as well when you're discussing <laughs> these kinds of I mean that's gotta be hard. They're like choose your really values, I guess. Yeah. There were a few films that I actually wrote up the entire chapter on them and then dropped them because it's a it was a delegate uh so each chapter is broken up into three films and it's it's sort of I tried to make it so that all the films are sort of playing off each other in a different way, so mm. that they were all um, different examples of, the, of of that type of character and character arc, but they all did it in a slightly different, a, 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 a significantly different way, I guess, so that, you know, you don't feel like all of those films have to be a particular way. Um, and, yeah, and in some instances I had to, had to drop, uh, drop a couple, like uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I've got a whole oh. chapter. I know, I know. That was, <laughs> that was a hard one to drop. Um, but I, I actually dropped it for the Nightingale. Uh, and okay, well that's fi- that's fine then. <laughs> change characters with an ambivalent arc, and both of those films did that so well. Oh you know, yeah. The, the, at the end of the story, the 
those characters are different people at the end of the story than they were at the beginning. But and there is a a, a, a real bittersweet quality to their you know their outlook. I guess that that things are not resolved. There is still trouble on the horizon, but they've come such a long way at the same mm. time. So they, both of those films do that beautifully. Could only have three. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's good that you've set yourself this kind of structure of the three there. Um, but what I actually was most impressed by, because, you know, I'm not a screenwriter. I write reviews. I do interviews like this and things like that. So I'm, I'm more on the, the critical side of things, but I still learned a lot from this. And I think part of that was from the emotional aspect and the personal aspect that you brought to each of the films. Like there is, this is not just, Hey, I think this film does this, this, and this. You also say the ending of the Nightingale is emotional gut punch, you know, that kind of thing. There is a, there is an emotional aspect that you're enjoying and appreciating with these films. How important was it to bring that aspect of you to this book? I, I mean, I get quite involved when I watch films. Like, so my, my wife, Chrissy, does not cry in films. I'm the one that cries in the films. <laughs> <laughs> and we're sitting on the couch and, you know, um, and so I get quite, in, I, 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 I find it easy to get emotionally immersed in what's happening and, you know, and go on the journey with the characters. And so I wanted to make sure that, that and, and I kind of feel like that's, I mean, that's kind of why we go to the movies, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that, yeah. it, it's to get swept up in those emotions and because so much of the, the the sort of idea behind the book, you know, a, a character arc, what you're what you're really describing with the character arc is the emotional shape of the movie. So it's like the, this is these are the feelings that the the character goes through. These are the sorts of emotional dilemmas they deal with and struggle with. And so I've kind of felt like um, to try and capture that emotion to just put in how I felt when I was watching the film as well and and the feelings that I get as a viewer. And so that, you know, that's that's what we're having a discussion about isn't necessarily a dry technical thing. We're, we're talking about an emotional medium where we're talking about feelings and and uh, and not, not just ideas, but, you know, how those ideas relate to feelings and characters and and uh all of those sorts of things. And so I, I mean, that stuff was easy to write in there because I always, I was, you know, I watched the film again and, you know, and all of those feelings would come back. Particularly, I mean, I don't know, if you would probably get this as well when you revisit a film that you've loved so much and and you re-immerse yourself in it, it all happens again. You oh, know, yeah. You're back yeah. there again and you're feeling those feelings and you're wondering about those characters and wondering about those emotions and it's it's terrific. I mean, it's one of the lovely things about uh, films. And I, I wanted to capture that in the way that I wrote about them as well. I didn't, I was wary of it being dry and technical. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I do sort of have these weird little diagrams through the entire book, which, you know, at a first glance, you kind of, it, it does look a bit technical, but hopefully, I mean, I, it, hopefully the diagrams sort of help pinpoint those big emotional moments throughout the story, because ultimately it's about, describing the emotional shape of, of the story. I I mean, you call them weird and technical. I think they're brilliant. They're, they're essential. They're, they're, I, I mean, it reminds me way back when Total Film Magazine used to do film reviews and the major film reviews that they did, they had a little 
a little graph, you know, showing the, the, the peaks and troughs of how, you know, how good the, the film was and things like that. And, oh, my God, um, I'm going to go and find that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. like, I don't know if they still do it or if the magazine's still around. I stopped buying them years ago, but the yeah, early yeah. issues, they had these, and it was really fantastic because you, you got an understanding of the how well the emotional arcs of the, the narrative work. And what I liked about this, yeah, it's, it's great. And that really led into my critical mindset a lot. I don't do that kind of stuff for, for my website, but um, I do, it does feed into how I'm enjoying a film and how I'm appreciating a film. And as I was reading through, I mean, I've watched most of the films that you're discussing in the book and, you know, with Burning and, and that particular discussion that you've got going on there, I, I love that it's a stunning film. Isn't that great? But, oh, it just, I, I remember watching it at an outdoor screening and just feeling a bit of a gut punch. And there were people who walked out of that film. They didn't appreciate it at all. And I feel it, sorry for them, but you know, yeah, you can't have yeah. winners all around. Yeah. Nah. But it's, it, a, it's um, an incredible film, but that, it was great doing the analysis of that one. Like I can imagine. Yeah. It was um, because it's, he's so interior. Yeah, he, yeah. He gives so little away. It's like, what the hell is he thinking? You have no idea. It's you can only imply. And uh, yeah, it was it was um it was it was a lot of fun putting that particular diagram together and and that uh, once again that sort of incredibly oblique ending where it's like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it could be a couple of ways. There's a couple of ways to understand that ending. Um but yeah, I I just love that film so much. Mm. Incredible. Yeah, it is. It is really incredible. I like as well. I mean, obviously the focus is mostly on film writing here, um, mm. but at the end you you wrap in TV as well. There is a huge difference between the two because, of course, there's that that breadth that TV shows have. And I think of Breaking Bad, for example, which has two core characters who one starts off as a hero and turns into a villain, and one kind of starts off as a villain and turns into a hero, mm. and that's such a complex thing because it, it plays with the viewer's emotions of who should I side with? Well, I liked this guy before, but now he's doing terrible things. How do I deal with that? Um, for you, it feels like there could be a whole nother book on TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah I'm, the publisher has talked to me about it. I, it's just finding a way to do it. Like, yeah, I, I think there is a book in it. Um, it's uh, I, I think I'd probably, I would still approach it through the idea of character arcs because, I mean, that's what, as TV writers, that's what we're always just talking about is, okay, well, what's what's the arc for the character this episode or this season or across the whole series? Uh, we're always talking about character arcs. Um, the thing with um, TV that makes it trickier to sort of break down in the way that I've broken it down in this book is that TV is an ensemble medium. So it's it's rare to have a TV show where there's not a well, long-running TV show where there's not upwards of six, seven characters that you're following in every episode and each of them has something going on. Um, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's not unusual. I, one of the first TV shows I ever worked on was Lost. I was uh, doing uh, a web series, a spin-off web series for them, but I had to read all the scripts. And, like, in Lost, there's... There's upwards of 15 characters that you're, yeah. it's you're complex, following. Yeah. <laughs> you're following all of their arcs and it's not linear and it's it was very complex. So, you know, I'm drawing up diagrams for a TV show, I, I think would probably ultimately counterproductive. But 
uh, approaching it from the idea of uh, character arcs, I think uh, it'd be interesting to break down uh, a, a series and kind of talk about the arcs that, you know, moved across the different episodes and then moved across the season and then ultimately the entire uh, TV series as a whole. Um, it'd be interesting to break down a, a few shows and, and describe how that works. Um, so, yeah, maybe the, you know, character arcs and television shows. Yeah, for sure. Makes a lot of yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I mean, it would be a, a, a broader undertaking because you've got, you know, these shows going for so long. But <laughs> it would, I, I don't think I'd have as many examples, I guess, because I'd have to sit there and watch every episode of numerous TV shows, which could take upwards of a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I, I think what you've written here does still apply intimately with um, TV in, in a lot of ways. It just works on a different scale. This is the best yeah. way of putting it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting um, when people uh, ask me, you know, what's, you know, if, if you had to, if you had to describe, um, you know, what, what the problem is with beyond uh, with the hero's journey and, and the three act structure, usually that the short answer I give them is uh, television because, <laughs> I guess just like a one word. Yep. <laughs> You're talking about television, the, the hero's journey and the three-act structure just are not helpful. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it sort of makes sense that there'd be a book in that, I suppose. Yeah. I'm taking up a lot of your time and I, I really appreciate this chat and I'm, I'm learning a lot from it as well um, on top of That's what right. I've already read from the book. Um, I guess as a wrap-up question, do you see Hollywood and filmmaking, global filmmaking going forward with scripts in different ways. I mean, they, they, it feels like it building on top of each other and I guess people working against this, the three act structure in different ways. Yeah. Mm. Um, that's a really good question. It's um, I'm not one for predictions because every time anyone makes a prediction, I used to work in interactive media and, yep. <laughs> um, you know, uh, so I, I'm used to people sort of making predictions and those things not happening. Um, you know, the, the biggest sort of revolution that's happened in storytelling in the last 10 years has not been interactive storytelling. It's been uh, binge linear storytelling. Where we just sit there passively and just consume as much as we possibly can. So, you know, it was exactly the opposite of what we were saying 15 years ago. Uh, having said that, though, I think one of the big trends that has emerged is the importance of uh, the writer's voice a distinctive voice. Uh, when I was coming through, uh, you know, as a young writer, the thing that you were trained to do, particularly in TV, was to blend in, to, uh, you know, to adopt the voice of the show and stick to that. And any time you sort of stepped outside of that, that's when there was issues, you know, someone would have, you'd get rewritten or, you know, you'd get reprimanded and it's like, you know, back in your box, this is the voice of the show. And that that's that still is very true um in you know once once a show is established its voice all of the writers that work on that that show are there to enhance and refine that voice and, and support it uh however a lot of shows that are doing really well at the moment like michaelia cole's you know i may uh, i may destroy you and you know uh, phoebe waller bridge killing eve and uh and Search Party, and I, all of the really distinctive shows have distinctive voices, and they're coming from writers who 
we and groups of writers we don't often hear from, and they're the really really successful shows, both commercially and uh, and critically. And so I think voice, distinctive voice, is is where it's at, where the future is at, certainly for the the short term anyway. So you know, as as young writers, um, you know, some of the advice I give in the book is to try and become aware of what your voice is. It's not always easy, um, but, you know, when you're watching films and you're connecting with films, you know, write that film down and, and write down what, how it made you feel and see if you can identify a pattern in the sorts of stories that you're drawn to and go towards those films because that's probably where your voice is. That's probably where the where you tell uh, a story in a way that's unique to you, and work on that voice and refine it because that's what will make your work pop out and be noticed. Uh, and I, I think television has done that probably uh, more confidently than film has for some time. Um, I, I'm, I, I wouldn't predict that that would stay the, the way that way, but. You know, television has done some amazing storytelling of late and um, and it, it's because of the distinctive voices telling those stories. Mm. Yeah, I, I definitely find that too. And I think it's interesting seeing somebody like, I mean, obviously there's been ghostwriters for years in, in Hollywood and things like that, but knowing that Phoebe Waller-Bridge has added dialogue to the new Bond film and things like that will yeah. shows how distinctive that voice is. You know, and there was an announcement yeah. made. Hey, she's going to add dialogue to this, and it's like, okay, this is really interesting. We're going to see what happens mm. there. So, yeah, I'm I'm binging uh, uh, um, uh, what we do in the shadows at the moment. All oh, right, the, yeah. Uh, TV and you know, Taika Waititi's voice is just so so distinctive. And I, I mean, I I guess it's almost a New Zealand voice. It's it's not just Taika, but you know, it's Jermaine Clements as well, and and all of those guys. But they have this unified, uh, unified sort of way of seeing the world and understanding the world and the, and the way that they shape a story and shape a joke, and it's really distinctive. And, you know, we could learn a lot from them. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a, a great way to wrap this up. Um, thank you, Anthony, thank for you. your time. It's been wonderful. Thank you, check. Andrew. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. All right. And uh, congrats on the blog too. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm really enjoying, uh, you know, I, to tell you the truth, I wasn't aware of it. That's all right. Uh, but, Not very uh, many people are, but it's working. It's building up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, you know, I, I'm really impressed that you're you're championing Australian films there. So it's it's fantastic. Yeah, thank it's you. Really it, it's um, you know, years ago I was covering like I was writing up Marvel reviews and stuff like that, and I'm like, okay, fine, no worries, great. And then they would get you know some interest, but I was like, this this isn't really exciting me that much. You know, and mm. my interest is talking about the passion and things like that and what excites you and finding your own voice. And it's like, well, I found my own voice and it's talking about Australian films. And mm. I've loved doing you it. Do it because, well, yeah, thank you. I, I I try and do a good job of it because I there's not very many people writing about them and talking or interviewing people. And I'm like, okay, I can if I can excel at this, then... I can help people pay attention to the smaller films. Um, like I've yeah, literally yeah. just gotten off an interview with um, uh, Mark Leonard Winter, whose film Disclosure is just out on, on renting and stuff like that. It's a great film, uh-huh. really well written and directed and performed. Uh, but it's a small film that, 
you know, it's a it's mm. a hard sell, and it's kind of like, well, if I can get behind that, then you know, maybe five people might watch it and tell five other people and all well, this kind of stuff. Well, the the thing that I I'm really connecting with on your blog is I'm learning about all of these smaller films that I had n- no idea were out there. And it's it's a way of you know you're going to be my way of keeping track of the smaller <laughs> releases now because you know it's so hard for them to get exposure anywhere. Oh, and, it really um, is. Yeah, there's, there's so little decent sort of critical you know reflection on them uh, of of any films really. I mean, it's usually just you know two stars or five stars and a bunch of hyperboles about the film. But you know, you go into actual you know interviews and and thoughtful reflections on so it's great work oh thank you very much i i I appreciate the feedback i do yeah because it's um a couple of years ago i got rotten tomatoes certified and it's like great well that's another yeah it's another thing which i can (laughs) add on to allowing um you know there's some australian films where i'm the only review on there but i know that people will go to rotten tomatoes and go ah there's no reviews then i might not watch it but if there's a review saying thumbs up check this out then that might mean they actually might seek it out. And so, yeah, it's, it's a small things, but um, hopefully it helps. And I, the feedback I've gotten yeah, from I'm filmmakers sure it, it has. Yeah. So yeah, it's good. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Awesome. All right. Thanks okay. again, Anthony. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much. No worries. All right. Have a good day. Take you later. Bye. Bye-bye. That is BAFTA award-winning writer Anthony Mullins talking about his book, Beyond the Hero's Journey, which is out right now in bookstores around Australia, and I highly recommend picking it up through New South Publishing is the uh, publishing company to get it through. I will stick a link in the show notes, and uh, yeah, definitely look, pick this book up. Even if you just have a cursory interest in film or film writing or film plotting or anything like that, then this is a book for you. I I think it's really fantastic and great reading. Uh, Yeah, so Beyond the Hero's Journey. I believe it will be coming out in both America and the UK very soon. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. I really appreciate it. It's um, it's also like I I contemplated whether or not to leave in that uh, feedback that Anthony left about the website, Um, but I I think it's really... uh, I think it was really nice to hear and um, it's great hearing it from somebody like Anthony as well about what The Curb does. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's fantastic that there are readers out there and people always, always new readers finding the website and things like that. Uh, it's always exciting to, to, to hear people enjoy what I do on the website and what, are the, what the other writers do as well. There's a lot of other writers on the website which you can head over to thecurb.com.au to read their reviews, my reviews, and listen to other interviews as well. And if you want, also follow us on social media, we're the Curb AU on both Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, and look, go the extra step if you can. It'll be fantastic. Patreon.com forward slash the Curb AU. As little as a dollar a month helps keep this website nice and independent. All right, guys, go and pick up Beyond the Hero's Journey. It's a great read. And if you're a screenwriter out there or a filmmaker who's interested in um, learning and honing your craft, then this is the book for you. Cheers, guys. Take care, and I'll see you on the next one.
Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Get great fall savings on all your home care and entertaining needs during the fall home care event at Safeway. Head into Safeway and get deals on products like Clorox disinfecting wipes, Swiffer wet mopping cloths, Lysol all-purpose cleaner, Swiffer wet jet mopping pads, Mr. Clean multi-surface cleaner, or Lysol power toilet bowl cleaner. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local store for more details. Offers expire October 31st. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary.